Hope you have your Bibles open to, or your electronic device to John chapter 8. I want to begin tonight with a couple of observations about human nature. Um, we'll see if you agree. The first is, I think, it had to be a marketing, some marketing genius or a political consultant who said that perception is reality. Um, I think we all understand what's being said there. We understand that in one sense it can be true, but in the ultimate sense it may not be true at all, right? Um, perception is defined as an opinion or an assessment or a view on something, whereas reality is defined as the truth of a matter, the, the, the certainty, the verity, or the fact of the matter. I think we know that an opinion can be the polar opposite of um, a fact. So, yeah, I think perception is reality. It's got its problems. I think the classical example would be Copernicus, right? You guys are familiar with the 16th century controversy. Um, everybody knew that that uh, the sun rotated around the earth. Everybody knew this, right? It was the unquestioned science of the day. It was indisputable. If you, if you doubted it, all you had to do was go outside and watch the sun rise and watch the sun set. But Copernicus came along and said, wait a minute, that's wrong. That's wrong. You've got it all wrong. That's, that's your perception. That is not reality, right? Famous controversy that most of you are familiar with. He rocked the world with that one. What everybody knew was true was not true. It was false. It was a lie. Second observation about human nature is I think we all love to, and test yourself on this, I think we all love to conform. We have this, it's almost like we can't help ourselves. We if, if everybody else is doing it, if everybody else is wearing it, and if everybody else is saying it, we, we feel this, this really strong urge to, you know, fall in line and, and do the very same thing. It's sort of a herd mentality. So you guys, I've mentioned it to you before, you guys know what lemmings are, right? And you know about the Scandinavian, Scandinavian lemming. When the population gets big enough there'll be a mass migration of lemmings, right? I think this would be an amazing thing to see. I've never seen it. I've never even seen video of it. But the thing about these lemmings is what they'll do is when they come to a large body of water, they'll just, they'll just jump in. And they can swim. They can swim pretty good. But if it's the ocean or an extremely large body of water, they'll simply drown. So you have this herd mentality. And I think we see this is very true with mankind. You just have this herd mentality. There was a picture in one of my seminary professor's offices. I've shared this with you before. It was a, a picture. It was a line of people, single file, right? As far as you could see in the, in the background of the picture. And they were just looking forward and one at a time walking off the precipice into the abyss, right? That's what they were doing. They were just following the person in front of them. So, I think this is uh, this zoological legend, the lemming. I think we have something to learn there. It's true, I think, that you tell me if you think I'm wrong. 
that we know more stuff than mankind has ever known. We know a lot of stuff. And if you need to know something new, you just Google it. And you can learn it in about five minutes, you know? We're so proud of what we know. You know, we have major universities and beautiful libraries and huge data banks, fast computers, uh, sophisticated research centers. But the question is, you heard the text read. You heard the text read. Jesus is talking about Himself. He's talking about the truth. And my question to you is, with all this knowledge that we have, has it gotten mankind any closer to the truth? What do you think? Has it gotten mankind any closer to the truth? All this data that is available. Well, I know it, it, it doesn't in America at least. Okay, I'm an American, so I can talk about my country. Okay? Um, the latest poll I saw, 62% of Americans say there is no absolute truth. Now, this is the most bizarre thing, and I know it's the whole postmodern thing, but it is, oh, it, to me, it's just simply bizarre. It's simply bizarre. No absolute truth. Well, Jesus says in the Bible tonight and in many other places that 62% of Americans are completely wrong. There is reality. There is absolute truth and He's it. Right? There is absolute truth and Jesus says I'm it. So, John 14.6 I am the truth. We know what Romans 1 tells us, verse 25, Paul sums up what mankind has done. Mankind has, you know the text? What does it say? Mankind has exchanged the truth for what? A lie. You say, Jim, why is the, why is the world so messed up? It's Romans 1.25. We exchange the truth, the truth of God, and go read Romans 1. I, I know I bring it up all the time. I don't have time to develop it. We have exchanged the truth for a lie. And it, it, it's self-evidently true, right? Nothing's really changed since the garden. Satan lied to Adam and Eve. They believed it. And we're still believing the lies. Most of mankind. Still believing it. Well, sin's better than God. You don't need to pay attention to God's Word. He's just trying to hold out on you. Right? I'm going, to, I'm going to give you freedom. Well, what do we learn in the text tonight? Satan offers freedom to mankind to be free from God. But what do we learn in the text tonight? That puts us into bondage. Right? It puts us into bondage, Romans 6. The bondage of, of sin. So, mankind is still chasing some of the very same lies that, that Satan enticed Adam and Eve with. And man has come to believe that he is the measure of truth. Mankind is the measure of truth. And we decide what is right or wrong. We decide whether there is such a thing as right or wrong. Jesus says, no. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the ultimate reality. It doesn't really matter what your perception is. I am the ultimate reality. It doesn't matter if you're following the herd. I'm the ultimate reality in the cosmos. The cosmos is all about Christ. You know, as I like to say, from the, you know, from the one-cell creature under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean to the supernova on the other side of the, the, the unseen uh, cosmos, it's all about Jesus. We were made by Him and for Him. 
It's all about Him. Every bit of it. Every bit of it, beloved. Every bit of it. So tonight, as we continue in John 8, Jesus tells us there is absolute truth, and yes, He's it. He also tells us that as we come into this truth, we find what? What does the text say? What do we find in the truth of Jesus Christ? What do we find? Real freedom. Now, Satan's selling you, you know, Satan is scamming you. He's saying sin is freedom. You don't need to be shackled to God or to the Word of God. You can have freedom, right? In your sin. Do whatever you want. The Bible tells us that is bondage. What's your perception of it, right? <laughs> Where do you think reality lies? What is your perception? Is, is the world freedom or is God freedom? It's one thing Jesus is talking about tonight. So, Jesus is talking about what true conversion looks like and how the true believer will behave and act in the world. So we know the context. We've been in, we've been in John 8 for a couple of weeks now. We know that Jesus is in uh, the treasury of the women in the temple. Um, he just... Last week we heard Him say that He is the light of the world. And when you come to the light, you will experience the light of life. We've seen the verb thing over and over and over in the Gospel of John. Right? I am the bread you must eat. I am the water you must drink. I am the light you must follow. Christianity is a verb. It's not just what you believe. It's how you live. Jesus keeps saying it. Those who follow Me. Those who follow Me. Those who follow Me. We just keep hearing it over and over and over in the Gospel of John. So, let me define my terms here about a disciple and a believer. There's this dichotomy, this false dichotomy in, in much of what is called Christianity that there's like a two-tier thing. Well, I believe, but I'm not a disciple yet. Okay, if you read your Bible with any comprehension at all, you realize that that's a false dichotomy. Disciples are believers. Believers are disciples. There's no dichotomy there. There's no distinction there. there there's no hierarchy of you know, the super-Christian and then the lukewarm Christian. We've been talking about it with the young adults. The lukewarm Christian is an oxymoron. Okay? There's no such thing as, uh, ultimately as a lukewarm Christian. It does not exist as far as the Bible is concerned because Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So, that's an oxymoron. We need to be aware of that. So, discipleship is not a prerequisite for salvation. Discipleship is the consequence of salvation. I don't have to become a disciple to be saved. I discover I am a disciple because I am saved. Amen? It's the whole supernatural thing that God has done. The born-again thing that He has done in our lives. So, Tonight in this short text, we see two hallmarks of the true disciple or the true believer in Jesus Christ. The true disciple abides in the words of Christ. And secondly, the true disciple, the true believer is free. These are the words of the Son of God. Verse 31 Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. We know from verse 30, Jesus had been discoursing with the Pharisees 
uh, earlier in the chapter, and some people had, had believed him, verse 30, uh, because of his words. He had spoken these things, and many came to believe in him. So Jesus says to those who are professing belief in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So what does it mean to abide? You know what it means, right? But I'll give you the dictionary definition. It means to dwell in, to tarry in, to endure in, to last in, to keep in, to be held by, to live in. If you have the King James Version, it will say you continue in. The NIV says to hold to. The Good News paraphrase says to obey. The Message paraphrase says to stick with. The literal translation is I remain in Christ, right? I remain in Him. I'm not a free agent Christian. I remain in Christ. This is the first hallmark, concrete hallmark of a true disciple of Jesus. He or she abides in the words of Jesus Christ. Which for us in, in our day is the Bible. This is the Word of God, right? It is the Word of Jesus. So the true believer, the true disciple, the, 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 the real Christian continues in Christ. So I'm going to ask you, you know, do a self-inventory here. Those of you who claim to be Christians, are you continuing in Christ? Are you holding to Christ? Are you obeying Christ? Are you sticking with Christ? Are you remaining in Him? Are you dwelling in Him? Are you enduring in Him? Are you lasting in His words? The way I like to say it is, the true believer incarnates the words of God. We, we, we simply, you know, there are two incarnations in the New Testament. Jesus took on flesh, and then we take on the Spirit of God. And we incarnate that, right? If we're Christians, it's conspicuous. I love that imagery that Paul uses with the Corinthians. We have this, that we have this aroma, right? We smell like God, and the world can smell us. We smell like God, right? He says, there's aroma on us. It's the aroma of Christ. We talked a little bit about it last week. You, you, you see people in the world, and you recognize that they are different. They are not of the world. So I'll ask you are, you, are you a disciple? I'm not asking you if you if you prayed a magic prayer or if you got baptized. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, are you a disciple? Are you abiding in the Word of God? Do you know it? Is it, is it a priority for you to be in it and to know it and then incarnate it? That's our job, beloved. That's always our job. We don't have any other job. Abide in the Word of Christ. Know it and live it. Basta. That's it. You know, people make Christianity so hard. It's easy. I follow Jesus. It's what we've been seeing the last few chapters, right? I eat the bread, I drink the water, I follow the light. It's real simple, right? It's really quite simple. So, we all know that we don't obey perfectly. I always like to make this point, but it is our desire. Is it not your desire to honor Christ in your obedience? Is that not the foremost desire of your heart? If it's not the foremost desire of your heart, then I lovingly challenge you to examine your heart. As Paul told the Corinthians, we talked about, was it Wednesday night? To see if you're in the faith. 
right? Because if you, if, if you come into relationship with Jesus, you will desire to honor Him in your obedience and in your life. You simply will. It's an oxymoron to say that you would not. So, there is this false notion in the church, you guys are familiar with it, um, that says, you know, Jesus can be my Savior, but, you know, I don't really want to do what He says. Okay, this is an epidemic in the States. I don't know what it's like where you're from, but I'm talking about where I'm from, my, my region of the States. This is epidemic. Well, I claim to be a Christian, but I live like the devil, right? I live just like everybody else, you know? I'm having sex with everybody, right? I'm doing whatever I want. Um, yeah, I speak any way I want. I ignore God most of the time, but every once in a while I'll go to church because I know He'll be impressed with me if I go to church. Right? It's, I want Jesus as Savior, but yeah, not so much as Lord. Well, okay, you can't do that, beloved. You can't break up Jesus like that. You don't get to split Him up like that. If He's not your Lord, oh, He's not your Savior. I'm pretty sure most of you are probably aware of that fact. That is biblically indefensible. When you, hear, when you hear a teacher or someone talking like this, that is biblically indefensible. That is pseudo-Christianity. It is pseudo-Christianity. As we've talked about many, many times, it's called reductionist Christianity, and it is a perversion of what the Bible says. I'll just read a couple of verses to you out of John. Uh, I won't go to any other book. I'll just stay in John. John 3. It says the believer, what? Practices the truth. Okay? And comes to the light, which I've already said. John 3 again. The believer, or, or the one who does not believe, he does not obey. He does not obey. Okay? John 10. My sheep hear my voice and my sheep follow me. John 14. He who has my commandments and keeps them. The Lordship thing it's, don't let anybody, don't let anybody downgrade Jesus, okay? He's Savior and Lord, beloved. You don't get to split up His offices. If He's not your Lord, again, I lovingly challenge you to examine your heart. And I think we touched on this the last several weeks, either in Young Adult Bible Study or um, in this hour. James the half-brother of Jesus, gives us a div div the definitive statement, James chapter 2, verse 17, faith without works is dead. <laughs> okay, if it's not real, it's not alive. If you're not doing it, it's not real. It's dead. I always loved Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of, in the Message Bible of uh, that verse. It's probably the best paraphrase in that paraphrase, he says, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Don't you love that? Outrageous nonsense. It's, it's you know, Jesus, we can see this in, in the Great Commission. What did Jesus say? Go make Baptists. Go make Presbyterians. Go make Anglicans. Go make whatever. Is that what he said? He said, go make what? Some, go make churchgoers and, you know, who will who, pray the magic prayer uh, and do some sacraments. What does he say? What does Jesus say? Go and what? Make what? Disciples. disciples. What do disciples do? Disciples learn from God and then do what they've learned. 
It's a very simple definition. Are you a disciple? I ask you. I'll ask you again. Are you a disciple? Are you learning from God and then are you incarnating what God has taught you? That's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't simply mean I do some stuff on Sunday. It means I am so in love with Jesus Christ. I'll do whatever He asks. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be honest with you. When He called me out of business and go to, to go to seminary, I struggled a lot. <laughs> I struggled a lot. But I, I ultimately couldn't say no. He, he's too irresistible. He's too beautiful. He's too compelling. Go and make disciples and teach them what? To go to church and pretend to love me. No. He says, he says teaching them to observe everything I said. Right? What does it mean to observe? It means to obey. I hate this dumbed-down pseudo-gospel that, that's so prevalent in the world today. I, I simply I abominate it. I hate it. For several reasons. It's taking people to hell, obviously. Right? Who think, well, I've done a denominational thing. I've done a religious thing. And, and, and I'm good with God. I've got my box checked. I'm okay. I can live whatever, however I want to live. Right? So, you know, it's... I hate it. I hate it. Jesus says, if you abide in Me, you're Mine. If you abide in Me, you're Mine. And don't pretend you're Mine if you don't abide in Me. This is the Word of God, beloved. I was listening to John Piper on this text uh, this week. <laughs> he, was say, he was saying, you, you know, all the liberal Protestant denominations, they hate John chapter 8, they hate it. Because Jesus is so strong. He, he so clearly delineates what real Christianity looks like as opposed to pseudo-Christianity. And they hate it. So I'm going to ask you, learning is an investment in time. Are you spending time in the Word? Are you pursuing God in His Word? Is knowing Him intimately a, you know, a, a big priority in your life? Can you honestly say, I abide in the Word of Jesus, I know the Word of Jesus, and I'm attempting to live the Word of Jesus, and when I fail to live the Word of Jesus, I confess my sin to Jesus, and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive me. I was trying to work in Jesus there so you didn't misunderstand. We learned a great lesson from Mary. You know the story, Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes into a village and Martha invites Jesus in and and uh, Martha's busy preparing, presumably, a, a meal. And where's Mary? Anybody remember where Mary is? While Martha's pre preparing the meal? Mary's sitting where? At the feet of Jesus, right? And Martha complains, Lord, tell Mary to help me. She's just sitting at Your feet. And what, is, what does Jesus say? Anybody remember? Martha! You're so distracted about so many things. Okay, some of you are too. Some of you walked in this door and you are distracted. Some of you can't even hear what I'm saying because you're thinking about something else. You're so distracted with the world or some problem you have. You, you, you can't even turn your mind off so you can hear the Word of God. I mean, here's God incarnate sitting in her living room, right? And He, he, he says, 
Martha, you're distracted about so many things, but Mary has chosen what? The good part. What's the good part? I sit at my Master's feet. And how does that equate to us? We're in the Word of God. And we're learning. And we see this in Mary's life. Mary seemed to be... the Even the disciples didn't understand what was going on. The night before He was arrested, what did Mary do? Anybody remember? She anointed Him with costly perfume worth a year's wages. Now, this is what happens when you sit at the Master's feet. You're way ahead of the curve, right? You know, you're... you're yeah. You know what's going on. You know what's going on. So we see, it, we see in Mary, she was a learner, and then she incarnated it. She anointed her, her, her Lord. She didn't care what anyone else's perception of Jesus was. You may remember she was critiqued by the disciples for wasting, quote-unquote, wasting a year's wages worth of perfume. Mary didn't care anymore which way the crowd was going. She wasn't a lemming anymore. She had discovered the truth and she had discovered a freedom. Oh, a year's wages? I wish I had more to give Him! Right? This is freedom! When you understand He is the most valuable. The most valuable being in the cosmos. Mary says, I don't care what it costs. Critique me if you will. You, you, you remember when it happened. The, the disciples were all over. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, this will never be forgotten. Jim Albright, in 2017, will be telling a group of people from all over the world about what Mary did. Mary sat at my feet. Mary loved me. Mary knew something was up. She probably didn't know all the details. She knew something was up. She was in tune with the Holy Spirit. She surrendered to the, 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 uh, the guiding of the Spirit. And she happily poured out a year's wages. And you know, I've always loved the, the tail end of that story. It's like, it's like, you know, everywhere Jesus went, He smelled like royalty. Everywhere He went those, those last few days, He smelled like royalty. When they nailed Him to the cross, He smelled like royalty. He was. And that was something that Mary did. I love that part of the story. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Lewis says that coming to Christ for him was like moving from a dream world to waking up. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he says, Christianity makes sense of the whole world. He says, I, I see the meaning of things now because of the, the Christian worldview. I challenge you, take any other worldview and make sense of the world. You cannot. You cannot. There are too many contradictions. There are too many gaping holes in any other worldview. Christianity holds it all together. So, let me tease out real quickly. Jesus says... What are the implications of this word truly in verse 31? What are the implications of this word truly? Well, it means there are more than two kinds of people in the world. There are believers. There are unbelievers, obviously. 
And because he uses this word truly, we understand that there are those who pretend to believe. Now, this is a pervasive theme, really all through Scripture, uh, particularly in the Gospels. We, we see it in Matthew 7. Many came to him with their religious resumes, and he said, I don't know who you are. We understand from the Bible, even the, 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 the earlier chapters of John, several of the chapters, Jesus references this. This false kind of belief. There is a kind of belief that doesn't save. An unrepentant, self-serving, you know, it's still pretty much all about me kind of belief. A self-justifying, religious charade kind of belief. And the, lot, the one we've been talking a lot about because we saw it so prevalent in uh, the chapter where Jesus, John chapter 6, where He fed the 5,000. You know, what can I get from God and how can I use God kind of belief, which is very prevalent in this day and age. So it's crucial that we don't miss this weighty implication. If you abide in My Word, then you are Mine, otherwise you are not. These are the words of Christ. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus says if you continue in, hold to, obey, stick with, remain in, dwell in, endure in, last in, abide in My Word, you will know the truth, and this truth will make you free. This is the second concrete hallmark of a true disciple, a true believer. We are both free in time and in eternity. How are true believers free? We're free to see the lie that the unbeliever never sees. The older I get, and I'm happy, I happily confess to you, I'm an old man, the more I see Satan in everything. And I see the subtlety of his lies. Sin's better, man. Career, you know, career advancement's better. You know, great wife, great kids, that's really, that's really better than God. And some of these things are legitimate things. But we get them in the wrong place, right? <laughs> we deify the family, right? This was not the intent of God. We're free to see the lie. We're like Copernicus. The whole world is blind to the, to the reality, but we see the reality. We have eyes to see. We're not deceived by perception anymore. We're like Copernicus. and We're not chasing the lie anymore. We're not like a lemming. We're not just following that person in front of us anymore. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many different ways to talk about the bondage of Satan's lies. I just want to run at it like this. You know, I'm dumbfounded. And I know you know a lot of folks this way. Folks that um, they live like this is all there is. You know what I'm talking about? This is all there is. This world. And what I can acquire, what I can experience, the pleasure I can have, that's all there is. Well, you know, Jesus told the Pharisees last week, you are of the world. Right? You are of the world. You've got to give Satan credit, man. In the face of indisputable facts, here's the deal. Every one of you will die. Every one of you will die. You can't take anything with you. Nothing. 
100% of you will die. And you'll have to leave 100% of the stuff you acquired here. And, you know, 100% of the acclaim that you acquired here does not follow you into the next world. Nobody cares about it there. What a good liar he is and how blind and stupid we are to live like this is all there is. Right? What a good liar. There's that great screw tape letters. You guys know this, C.S. Lewis. Screw tape letters. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It'll be a blessing to you. But the demon is trying to keep his human patient uh, you know, from go- going to God and he's trying to get him into hell, right? And, and the senior demon says to the apprentice demon, well, you've got to keep them fogged about reality. And I, I, I've always loved this term. Satan's, what Satan tries to do is keep you in the fog. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Come to me. I'll take you through the fog. You know, if you're fogged up, you're, you're looking at the wrong things. You're, you're getting your information in the wrong place. You know, this will sharpen things up for you right here. This will sharpen things up for you. If you're living for this world, it's the Copernicus thing all over again. You've got reality exactly backwards. If you're living for this world, it's like the lemming thing. You're just following the crowd and it will not end well. Everyone who is of the truth Jesus says, here's my voice. John 18.37 Lewis says it like this, by His voice, we see everything clearly. Right? By the Word of Jesus. Jesus says, abide in My Word. You'll know the truth. It's what the Lord says. So, in Jesus we come to see and understand the fundamental truth of our existence. We understand why we're here, where we came from, what it all means, where we're going, who it's about. We understand. We can't answer every question. God's Word is not an explanation to mankind. We don't understand everything, but we understand the important things. And we we can speak to them. In Christ, we learn to take the long view, the eternal perspective. Paul says in Colossians 3, keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on them. In Jesus Christ, we are set free not merely to live in this world, but to live for the next. Well, I'm going to say that again. And then you can do, you can do an inventory in your own mind. In Jesus Christ, we are set free not to merely live in this world, but to live for the next. I shared with the young adults Wednesday night how not to be free. Okay? Um, I read them a quote. I I love this quote. I'm not going to read it all to you, but it's a young woman making a confession. She says, I like about 60% of what Jesus says. I like about 60% of it. I don't like the rest of it. And she says, I pretty much ignore it. She says, this is how I live. She says, "Uh, I do this every day. There are some things He says, I look them in the eye and I say, no! She says, I'm a D-minus Christian. This is how not to be free, beloved. Okay? This is how not to be free. This is how to be in, I don't know, in some kind of limbo, right? 
where you kind of you act kind of like a Christian, you know, uh, but really you really don't buy into it all. But you think, well, just in case there is a hell, let me check my box. Let me pray a prayer. Let me do a sacrament or an ordinance. Let me do something just in case. I love the honesty of this young woman, right? <laughs> this is how not to be free. To, co- to, to uh, compromise on the Word of God. To not abide in the Word of God. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom. And Paul I love the way Paul says it in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I do believe if you ever, if you actually can own that verse, you are free. You are free in a way that God means for you to be free. I'm ready to die, man. I really am. If it's God's providence, if it's God's will for me to die, I really am ready. Because I know it's gain. Do you know it's gain? If you know it's gain, you are free. You are one of the most free people on the planet if you know that death is gain. It's great gain, beloved. It's great gain if we understand the words of God. Paul abided in Christ. He just loved Christ. He just followed Christ. He just obeyed Christ. When he got up in the morning, whatever obeying Jesus looked like, that's what he did. Even the day he woke up and he was thrown into a dungeon. Remember what Paul does in a dungeon? Someone tell me what Paul does when he's in a dungeon. He sings. Now, Why would a sane man sing in a dungeon? He's free. (laughs) He's free. You can't stop Paul from rejoicing in the fact that he was a gross sinner against God, the worst kind, a self-righteous Pharisee who thought he'd earned the right to step into the presence of God, the worst kind of sinner, a self-righteous sinner. And now... He's adopted into the family of God through the work of Jesus Christ. You can't stop Paul from singing. Right? You can't stop him from singing. So, verse 33. They answered him, the Pharisees said, We are Abraham's offspring and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Well, historically, this is just factually incorrect. (laughs) Okay? Uh, They were slaves in Egypt and they were also slaves... The southern kingdom were slaves to the Babylonians. The northern kingdom was slaves to the Assyrians. They don't understand what he's talking about as normal. He's talking about their souls and their heart. He says, you can be free if you abide in me. You will know the truth and you will be free. So, I'll just ask you, think about it. Are you enslaved to a habit, a pleasure, a struggle, a fear, an attitude, a desire, a grief, a comfort, an ease, a vanity, a pride, a selfishness, a lust? Jesus says, I give you freedom. But you must come. You must eat. You must drink. You must follow. It's the Word of God. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Okay, if you're a human being and you don't think you have a problem with sin, then we're back to Copernicus. Your perception is not reality. 
and you're kind of, we're back to the limbing thing. You think you're okay because you're just kind of living a good enough life the way everybody else lives. You just conform to the herd. The idea here that Jesus is talking about is found in 1 John chapter 3. We're talking about the unrepentant, premeditated, willful lifestyle sinner. 1 John 3 calls it the one who practices sin. The one who practices sin is the slave of sin. We are not perfect as believers. We all struggle with sin. But we're in the sanctification fight. We're in the Romans 7 fight. Okay? We love holiness and we hate our sin and we're confessing it. And as God uh, enables us and, and as we move on in, in our sanctification, we put it down. You should be getting victory over your sins. You say, Jim, I've been dealing with a sin for like a decade. Yeah, I know how that happens. But ultimately, you need to be putting it down. You need to get to the place where you can put it down, right? And get the victory over it. Expect the victory over it. So Jesus is saying the unabashed, calculated sinner is the one who is by his lifestyle consciously rejecting Jesus. He is the slave of Sin, therefore, the slave of death. True disciples, true believers are freed from these slave masters. This is the ultimate, this is the ultimate meaning of the text. Jesus says, I set you free from the slave master of sin and I set you free from the slave master of death. You are free. You don't have to live in sin anymore. You don't have to conform anymore. You don't have to believe the lie anymore. Right? You're free. You're free. What does is, what is the text in Daniel say? The people who know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. We're supposed to be doing exploits in the world. Jim, what does that mean? It means I sow seeds of truth into, in, into, into lives of people I know. That's an exploit. I'm sowing seeds of truth. I'm the light of the world. I'm, 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 not the light, I'm a reflective light of the world, right? I'm, I'm sowing good seed. That's an exploit. I'm serving uh, my enemy. I'm praying for him. Right? I'm, I'm showing kindness uh, just uh, uh, for no reason at all that, that, that I might speak the name of Jesus. I told the young adults, you know, when we go help the, the homeless people uh, in the next week or two, we do it in the name of Jesus. We don't do it in the name of the church. We do it in the name of Jesus. It's an exploit. Right? It's what I'm trying to say, verse 35, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Jesus is simply saying, the slaves of sin will be banished, but the adopted sons of God, they will enter into the Father's house forever. Romans 8, 15 and 16. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. This resurrection life God gives you, it's received from God. It's not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and conforms, pardon me, confirms who we really are. We know who He is. We know who we are. He is our Father. We are His children. And as I told the young adults Wednesday night, lay hold of the eternal life 
to which God has called you. Some of you just need to lay hold of it and do it. Right? Lay hold, beloved. Be free. You're free to lay hold of the Word of God and go out in that dark world and be a light. You're free. You're free to do it. Say, Jim, I might get fired. So what? Get fired. I've been fired. You know what I discovered about getting fired? God is bigger than my boss. God is bigger than my paycheck. Hey, I'm not saying go pick a fight. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, you know, when you know it's right to speak, speak. Speak humbly. Speak graciously. Speak the truth. You know, when the enemy, what is, you know, as Peter says, when the enemy attacks, what do we do? We give a blessing. We give a blessing. I know that's, that, I know that's miraculous. I don't want to give a blessing when someone attacks me verbally. But God says, this is what my people do. <laughs> it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. So, perception is not reality. Reality is reality. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you want to live, really live, you must stop being a lemming. You must abide in My Word. And you must eat the bread. You must drink the water. You must follow the light. And I just want to say this and I'm done. And I'm sorry, I don't know how long I've preached. I forgot to look at my watch. If you're not free tonight, I mean, I'm talking about like Paul kind of free. And I know we struggle with things. Hey, I, I, listen, I, I, I'm not saying I got it all together. Okay, I'm 62 and I've had a little more experience than you. But, you know, if you're not Paul kind of free, it's on you. <laughs> it's on you. It's nobody's fault but yours. God has given you all you need to be free to sing in a dungeon if it becomes necessary. Sing in a dungeon. These momentary light afflictions are what? I forget how it goes. Something about an eternal weight of glory. I forgot the, the verb in there. Listen, if you're not free, it's on you. And I lovingly invite you into freedom. Okay? I lovingly invite you to abide in the Word of God and find your freedom there. Verse 36, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free. Indeed. Let's pray together. Father, what an awesome text. What an awesome text. Father, we pray Your Spirit will help us to understand these words that if we need to, we would examine ourselves. 
Are we disciples? Are we learning? And are we doing? And if we are learning, we will be free to be doing. So forgive us, Father, where we have failed, where we have been negligent, We pray to be encouraged by Your Word, this astonishing promise that we can be free in this life and for a billion eternities. We will be free to be who You created us to be. Some of us still aren't sure what that looks like. But we have this great promise That if we delight in You, You will give us the desires of our hearts, the desires You have put there. Lord, thank You for this great text. We love You. And we praise You. For there is no God like You. You are I Am. the God who was and is and is to come. We pray this in Your name. Amen. Well, I'd really like to end with, a, with a, some music, but um, I don't know. you think we could do that or not? Should we try that or should we not try that? I think we're going to try it. Okay, I think we've got some willing hearts over here. So... Um, We're going to see what we can do. Can we do that 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 last one? The great I am. Maybe a a verse or two, or verse in a chorus or something. Doesn't have to be the whole song, but. Why don't you guys stand with us? We're going to do the great I am. It makes me crazy. Such a great song.